we were all supposed to be getting back to normal now. Uh, latest statistics indicate that 82 million Americans have been vaccinated with at least one dose of the COVID-19 virus vaccine, and at least 44 million have received both doses. So that's a substantial percentage of the U.S. population. And when you factor in um, the reality that the majority of those people who have been vaccinated have been vaccinated in a prioritized fashion, meaning that those most at risk, the elderly or people with pre-existing medical conditions, uh, have been the ones to receive it, it would seem that uh, most of the risk to the general population has been sharply reduced as a result of these vaccines. Vaccines that I once again am obligated to point out that we would not have were it not for President Trump. Now, I know there were those that are trying to say that President Trump had nothing to do with the vaccines being developed. That is not true. There are those that have said that the Chinese released the genetic sequence, making it easier to develop the vaccine. That may very well be true. But regardless of whether that is true or not, the practical reality of getting vaccines to people in this country are a function of, one, how quickly the government can approve it, because the FDA has to approve it. And I know for a fact that President Trump exerted a great deal of pressure on the Food and Drug Administration in the United States to approve these vaccines. And while they were still in the experimental stage, President Trump took the step that uh, only a businessman would think of in that he ordered 100 million doses from each of the companies that had the vaccines uh, in the pipeline so that we would have them uh, when they were finally improved and we would have them in short order. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Dury, and welcome to another National Preview Online podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe to the show. Um, You can do so by simply going to the iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, and searching out the NPO podcast. In the alternative, you can go to either of those two Play Stores, and you can download the free Podbean app. Podbean is our hosting service, and you can use that as a third-party podcast aggregator app and subscribe to the show that way. Please email me if there's any particular topics you'd like us to cover here on National Preview Online. And leave us a review, because the more positive reviews we get, uh, the faster the show grows and the more offerings we can bring to you. So, again, we're all supposed to feel so safe, but we have Dr. Fauci out there, who uh, presumably is running our response when he's not on every possible television network he can manage to jam his ugly face onto. Uh, But he's out there fully vaccinated and wearing two masks. And I have to agree with Senator Rand Paul, who pressed him on this matter a few days ago, that he's being theatrical. There's no credible reason to be walking around with two masks. In fact, there's probably no credible reason to be walking around with a mask at all. Now, I myself received my first dose yesterday. And I must confess to you, I feel very, very ill-served by having to have to get that vaccine. And make no mistake about it, I did have to get the vaccine. Now, many of you are wondering, well, how do you have to get the vaccine? Because you're not mandated to get the vaccine, and that's true. 
you're technically not mandated to get the vaccine. But when you're in the type of businesses that I am in, and you work for yourself, your businesses are severely crippled if you don't have the vaccine. For instance, I have an entertainment business that I run. I would not be able to work in that business if I didn't have the vaccine, because the alternative is, in order for me to work at various large events, I would have to have a negative COVID test taken within 72 hours prior to every single event. That, or I would have to prove that I was vaccinated or had the antibodies to the virus. Now, in addition to that, I have another business which causes me to deal with the public on a regular basis. So suppose I went for one of these tests prior to an event and I were not vaccinated and I were to get a false positive on that test. Not only would I not be able to work at the entertainment event that I was scheduled to work at three days out, uh, I would have to cancel that, refund any money I've collected, but I would have to close my other business until such time as that false positive uh, could be verified as having been a false positive or until such time as a sufficient quarantine period passed so that I would no longer be deemed infectious. Either way, it would put me on the radar screen of the government watchdogs who call you every single day to make sure you're quarantined. So in a manner of speaking, financial ruin awaits you in many businesses if you are not vaccinated. And this, to me, is reminiscent of Nazi Germany. Where are your papers? Where are your papers? Let me see your papers. And it strikes me that when government finds a way to manipulate the masses, this is a classic propaganda from that uh, book written on propaganda many, many, many years ago, which uh, the Nazis used. Uh, Everyone who ever engages in propaganda has used it. FDR used it. Mark Levin talked about it on his show the other night. Propaganda is about how to control the masses, and fear is one of the best ways to do it. They put a lot of fear into all of us over this COVID-19 virus, much of it unjustified. And they're going to continue to use it. So mark my words, once the fear of this seems to fade because enough people have been vaccinated and they begin to demand that things go back to normal because they can no longer justify uh, the government, that is, justify these sort of restrictions on the population, there'll be another pandemic. There'll be another virus that somehow manifests itself or some other reason why we all need to be stopped. Yes, and I do mean stopped from living our daily lives. So if anyone thinks that they, they haven't been compelled to get this vaccine, you're very, very wrong. You have been. You're going to find you're not going to be able to travel on air. You already know that. You have to have a test. It's, this is not good. This is very, very bad. So just my own thoughts uh, on the vaccine, as far as that goes, is a practical matter from someone who has taken it. On a very, very personal level, I feel more run down than I have in quite some time. And I only received it about 25, 26 hours ago. So, and they say that the second shot is the one that really knocks you for a loop. So if this is the way I feel today, I can't wait to see how I'm going to feel a month from now when I get the second shot. So my advice to you is if you're a person who is not at risk, If you have no underlying health conditions, if you're young and healthy, 
and there's no one in your household that you're at risk of infecting who is not in a risk group. And you don't absolutely have to have it in order to continue running your business or work where you work. Don't get it. Just food for thought. What I wanted to talk about today briefly uh, is not something it's a current event thing. We're fast approaching the April 15th deadline. Now, most Americans who work for a living, uh, which is still most of us, uh, realize that that represents the day that all our income taxes have to be filed. If you have corporate taxes, some of them have to be filed on March 15th. But they have to be filed by April 15th. Most people don't even realize what they pay in federal and state taxes. Why? Because these things are already deducted from your check. You may see it as an entry, but most people don't even count it because it's money that never reaches their pocket. So they don't even count it as taxes that they paid. But if you work for yourself, like I do, every quarter, April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, and January 15th of the following year, you have to sit down and write a check. You have to write a check to the federal government, to the Treasury Department, and you have to write a check to your local state if you have a state income tax, and that's 41 out of the 50 states do have state income taxes. When you actually sit down and write that check and see how much you pay, then you really feel it, and then you begin resenting it. So let me give you a a sense for those of you who don't do this, how much tax you really pay. If you added in your state tax, your federal tax, your local taxes, and your property taxes if you're a homeowner, look at it this way. You're probably working until mid-April or May just to cover your tax bill. So almost the first five months or more of your labors during the fiscal year goes to feeding that government monkey, that heroin addict that's on top of your back. That was the phrase back in the 70s when I was growing up. People who were addicted to heroin, they said they had a monkey on their back. Well, you've got a monkey on your back in the way of the federal government and the state government and your local governments who have a thirst for money that doesn't belong to them. And tax levels were approaching confiscatory levels in this country on many occasions. That's what caused Ronald Reagan to enact the largest tax cut in history. And then after he left, taxes began to climb again. And Bush tried to cut them, the second Bush. Uh, and then Trump, of course, gave us a great tax cut, which was responsible for the financial uh, recovery we had following the miserable and dismal Obama years where economic growth never exceeded 2% in any quarter. That was the worst performance economically of any presidential administration in my lifetime. And we're going to go back to that again. Gasoline is already up 60 cents or more a gallon, which stifles economic activity as people take fewer and fewer trips and engage in fewer uh, episodes of commerce. They can't travel. They can't spend. So don't think that this is all uh, in somebody's imagination. It's not your imagination. It's very, very real. It's about time people faced up to it. And there was a couple of more items I wanted to cover today. Today is a bit of a um, significant day in political news. This is the day of the first 
press conference that sleepy Joe Biden has had since he took office. 65 days into his presidency. This is a record. No other president has waited this long to give a press conference after being sworn into office. No other. Okay. This came after mounting pressure uh, that he give a press conference. More than any of uh, his recent contemporaries, Bush gave one in, I think, 28 days, Trump 28 days, Obama in 25 days. It's really quite disgraceful uh, the way Biden is doing this. Now, he gets out there and he starts talking as if he's on a different planet, that the, the, the problem on the border is, is no different than any given year. Just a few couple of pull quotes from this article. Um, he said the surge... Uh, at the border is the fault of his predecessor. And he claimed that the vast majority of illegal border crossers are being sent back. He said of the surge of illegal immigrants, the largest in two decades, as it turns out, happens every single year. Nothing has changed. Thousands, tens of thousands of people who are over 18 years of age and single have been sent back, sent home. We are sending back the vast majority of families that are coming. We are trying to work out now with Mexico their willingness to take more of those families back. Yeah, but uh, that's, that's a problem. He defended his, his move to reverse the Remain in Mexico policy that uh, Trump implemented. But the problem is that many of these people aren't, aren't coming from Mexico. They're coming through Mexico. I told you on this show the other day of a man in Brazil who moved his entire family up through Central America to get to the U.S. border because of Joe Biden encouraging people to come. And he admitted that he would never have tried it if Trump was president. Now, under international law, as I've said before, you are required, if you're leaving your home country and fleeing it because of persecution, you are required to, re, uh, to ask for asylum in the first country you reach where you're not persecuted and where asylum is available. All you have to do is look at a map. If you're walking from Brazil, you have to traverse Colombia, then Panama, Nicaragua, Honduras, Guatemala, perhaps El Salvador, uh, depending on which way you go, and then finally Mexico, and then the U.S., seven countries before you get to the United States. So don't tell me that remain in Mexico policy is going to... It, it, reversal of it is the is the only fault of it. People are coming from all reasons, and from all regions, rather. So this is nonsense. A total of 16,513 unaccompanied illegal alien minors were in custody of either the Customs and Border Protection or Department of Health as of March 23rd. Now he's talking about he's going to provide space. No one should be in any longer than 72 hours. Now, Senator Graham of South Carolina said that he's just spreading misinformation, that the Border Patrol has apprehended 100,441 illegal border crossers along the southern border in February alone. So I don't know what he's talking about, that people aren't coming. He said, with all due respect, this press conference is hard to watch. It's clear he does not have the situational awareness he needs to understand what is going on at the border and how to fix it. Now, Remember how they were saying that Trump was spreading fake news? Well, this is fake news. But even if you're a detractor of Trump, you have to give the man his due. He took questions from everyone. He didn't like CNN. He would tell them that he thought they were fake news. 
but he took questions from them. And the only time he tried to ban them from press conferences when they were out and out disrespectful to the office and him in the way they would continue to answer questions after their, their time to ask a question was up and grab the mic from other people or refuse to relinquish the microphone to other people. And that is not unwarranted. That is quite warranted. But look how different it is now with Biden in office. This press conference, one hour in length. Now, it may seem like he was there a long time, but he rambled much of it. He took questions from 10 journalists only, 10 hand-picked journalists. The press office excluded questions from the Epic Times, excluded uh, questions from OAN News Network, Fox News, Just the News, and the Washington Times. Anyone who was not firmly in the camp of the uber-leftist mainstream media, which is just an arm of the Democratic Party and vice versa, was not allowed to answer a question. So in other words, this was a press conference in name only. It was a softball conference, giving him easy-to-answer questions with very, very little in the way of tough follow-ups, just accepting everything this bumbling, dementia-ridden old fool sputters as at face value and fact. And then when asked if he planned to run again in 2024, he said, yes. He said, I plan to run for re-election. That's my expectation. And that he would fully expect that Kamala Harris would run again with him. Don't bet on it, Joe. I would start checking your coffee. Kamala may have some other plans for you. But this man... He's, he's a piece of work. Now, if anybody watched the debates, if anybody's watched him so far, if anybody watched him fall down the steps of Air Force One as he was walking up to the plane three times and one, once, and then try to blame it on a, on a 10 mile an hour wind, you know the man is not well. He's not well by any, uh, physically or mentally. His mental faculties are fading even faster than his physicality. He's currently 78. He's the oldest person ever to become president in the history of the United States. I remember when I was a young man, people made an issue of Ronald Reagan's age. Ronald Reagan was 69 when he was inaugurated. He became 70 a few months after taking office. When he ran for re-election after four years, he was younger than this clown is now. In 2024, at the end of his first term, he'll be 82 meaning that he would be 86 years old by the end of his second term if he were elected to one. Now, you see what the man looks like now at 78 years of age. You see how fast he is fading. Do you have any idea what he'll be like by the end of his first term? Forget his second term. He's not going to last it. He's not going to last it. He's either going to wind up resigning or he's going to be forced out. He's done. He's done. But for the time being, unfortunately, he's still there. And he's still playing the old liberal playbook. So they asked him about gun control. And he said it will be a matter of timing. Above all, it's a matter of timing, is a pull quote from his uh, response to a question during this press conference. When he was asked whether it would be through Congress and legislation or executive actions, he said all of the above. So brace yourself for what's coming. They're going to hit you on all fronts. He made no other comments about any actions on firearms. And then he uh, switched topics to infrastructure and made reference to uh, further details at an event 
I get the date to be announced um, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Now, there's been a lot of pressure, of course, as there always is after these mass shootings. We had a shooting in Atlanta and a shooting in Colorado. And so now the Democrats are seizing upon that um, to try and get some sort of support for another assault weapon ban. Uh, Another quote from Biden. He said, I don't need to wait another minute, let alone an hour to take common sense steps that will save the lives in the future and to urge my colleagues in the House and the Senate to act. Uh, that's kind of like a just a vacuous statement. So I don't really know what the hell he's talking about, but that's okay because neither does he. So let's go on to some other little things, though. We all know that Biden is just a puppet. We all know he's just signing whatever they put in front of him, and he's saying whatever they tell him to say. And I'll guarantee you, if I did some real, real forensic analysis and we can get some real good photographs and uh, high-resolution video, we probably could see the earpiece that's in his ear um, that he invariably is using to get advice from his staffers to answer these questions. But does anybody believe that they're going to let him continue this masquerade for much longer? No. Eventually, he's going to go. So the question now becomes, what are we going to do? Are we going to simply wait until 2024 to do something? Or are we going to do something sooner? Well, Trump, the man everyone vilified, uh, he may have been a little quieter than he's been, but uh, he's not been quiet. Trump is working assiduously um, to take control of the Republican Party. He's going to control the GOP. It's his. It's been his ever since he got elected. And he's the one who has the biggest weight in the GOP. So the question becomes, what is he going to do? Well, first of all, he's going to primary every congressperson that opposed him. He is going to promote candidates that he thinks will promote the MAGA agenda, Make America Great Again, and also stand for things like term limits. And there's something else I think Trump is planning, and this may set you back on your heels. Trump now lives in the state of Florida, and the area area around Mar-a-Lago, I think, is one which is probably winnable by a Republican. What if Trump were to run for Congress from that seat? And as is the case in most interim elections, the House, the president in power, the party in power in the White House loses seats. Now, right now, there's a 13-seat majority or a 12-seat majority in the House in favor of the Democrats. If Trump runs for Congress and the Republicans take back the House of Representatives, who do you think is going to become the Speaker of the House? It's going to be Donald Trump. And that will put the brakes on Joe Biden like you wouldn't believe. Instead of the Democrats coming up with impeachment and invocations of the 25th Amendment, it would be the Republicans using it on Biden and maybe using it on Kamala Harris. But things would get very, very, very interesting in a very, very short period of time. So a lot of things seem surreal, but it's not outside the realm of possibility. In fact, I think it's extremely possible because the likelihood is that the Biden administration will lose seats in the House as every first-term president does. And in addition, 
Trump could very, very easily become elected to Congress. And if he did, there's no question that he'd be the front runner to be Speaker of the House. And wouldn't that be a real, real stick to Nancy Pelosi? Old loopy Nancy may find herself out of a job sooner than you think. Now, forgive me if I'm not my usual vibrant self, but I did say at the beginning of the broadcast that I was feeling a little bit out of it as a consequence of that vaccine. But there's one uh, little further tidbit of information I thought I might share with you. In fact, I'm surprised I lasted this long. Actually, two little tidbits. The first one has to do with Senator uh, Bernie Sanders. Now, Bernie Sanders is like the uber liberal of the Democratic Party, except he's not part of the Democratic Party, which I always thought was interesting. He now is an independent. He caucuses with the Democrats. And how he ran for the Democratic nomination is beyond me. But we now have the past two election cycles where Bernie Sanders ran for the Democratic nomination. So go figure. But apparently, Bernie does have a, at least a minute amount of integrity. He is not comfortable with the ban that Twitter placed on Donald Trump, saying he doesn't like the idea of a handful of high-tech people wielding too much power. This from an article in the Epic Times. Now, Sanders made these remarks uh, while giving an interview with the New York Times in which he was asked about this issue of Twitter banning Trump. Quote, do I feel particularly comfortable that the then president of the United States could not express his views on Twitter? I don't feel comfortable about that, Sanders said. Now, Twitter has defended this, of course, as they have uh, many times. Jack Dorsey issued a statement on it, but since I don't think Jack Dorsey deserves the time of day, I'm not going to read his response. But Trump said that he thinks that now, in retrospect, that Twitter and Facebook, which also uh, banned him, did him a big favor. He enjoys communicating with the public via email press releases, which he thinks are far more elegant, and the word is getting out. Now, he's declined to confirm rumors that he's planning to launch his own social media platform. If he does, I think it'll blow away anything that Twitter and Facebook have right now. He's quoted, we have a lot of options and something will happen with social media if I want it to happen, Trump said, adding that he has a tremendous option regarding launching a viable social media platform given his large following prior to the ban. Senior advisor Jason Miller told Fox News on Sunday that I do think we're going to see President Trump returning to social media in probably about two or three months here with his own platform. So this is extremely, extremely interesting. But regardless, Sanders uh, deserves a few accolades. That's how I brought this issue to the fore for speaking up uh, out uh, against social media, exercising this undue influence and banning people. Uh, in the interview, he said, I don't know what the answer is. Uh, how do you balance freedom of speech with uh, policing potentially harmful posts? He goes, do you want hate speech and conspiracy theories traveling all over this country? No. But it is an issue that we have got to be thinking about because yesterday it was Donald Trump who was banned and tomorrow it could be somebody else who has a very different point of view. So I guess perhaps in the end, there's a little self-service there with Sanders uh, I guess he only mildly objects to the fact that Trump was uh, was banned because he doesn't say the right things. He's worried about, well, if they ban Trump so easily, they could ban me, which would be a good reason for taking Trump's side in this issue. One last little tidbit that I wanted to give you uh, before we parted company. Some of you may remember 
a Yale psychiatrist by the name of Bandy Lee, who was um, Chinese. I think she came from the People's Republic of China. Uh, She worked as an affiliated faculty member in the psychiatry department of Yale's medical school. And she came to prominence because she was a woman, a psychiatrist, uh, because she questioned the mental health of Donald Trump. She's been questioning his mental health since 2017, when she became the editor of The Dangerous Case of Donald Trump, which is a New York Times bestseller. This was a group of 27 medical professionals that were trying to claim that Trump was unfit for his job. A lot of controversy called by this, uh, caused by this book uh, in that it broke a long-standing standard, an ethical standard known as the Goldwater Rule, which basically says psychiatrists should refrain from providing professional opinions in the media about public figures that they have not examined personally. In 2018, she was called before the House Budget Chairman uh, House Budget Committee by Chairman John Yarmuth, who was a Democrat in Kentucky, where she laid out to lawmakers why she believed Trump had become mentally unstable. She's been fired by Yale because of these remarks. Uh, and the lawsuit uh, centers around her social media speech. Um, Lee is alleging that Yale fired her in response to a Twitter post that she made in January of 2020 in which she characterized just about all of Trump supporters as suffering from a shared psychosis. She even went so far as to say that Alan Dershowitz, the professor emeritus of Harvard and the foremost constitutional scholar in this country, who also happened to be a lawyer on Trump's legal team, had wholly taken on Trump's symptoms of contagion. Now, Dershowitz is no one's fool, and he's pretty good with that pen. That's why he's very often tapped to write appellate briefs to the Supreme Court. He refuted Dr. Lee's claim and wrote a lengthy email to the Yale administrators uh, specifically about Dr. Lee's breaking of the Goldwater rule, and he demanded that they discipline her. Quote from, from Mr. Dershowitz, Dr. Bandy Lee of the Yale Medical School has publicly diagnosed me as psychotic based on my legal and political views and without ever examining or even meeting me. This constitutes a serious violation of the ethics rules of the American Psychiatric Association. I am formally asking that the association discipline Dr. Lee. By this email, I also formally ask Yale University, Yale Law School, and its medical school to determine whether Dr. Lee violated any of its rules. According to the court documents, Dershowitz's complaint led the psychiatrist psychiatry department leadership to warn Lee that she should stop making similar public statements, otherwise the department would be compelled to terminate her teaching role. She continued to write on Twitter about Trump's mental stability even after the official warning and was fired in September of 2020 with a a psychiatry department letter explaining that the decision was mainly due to her clinical judgment and professionalism rather than the political content of her statements. How this all shakes out. We don't know, but we will be looking at this in the future. And as soon as information comes to our attention, we will pass it on to you. I went a lot longer than I thought I could go today. I thought I was really running out of steam. I wasn't as fluid as I normally like to be, but I guess that's just the cumulative effect of the fatigue. 
So that's all for today. We'll be back tomorrow for National Preview Online. I'm Jamie Dury.